Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, my dear brothers, sisters, friends, and the foes out there, and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host, Didi Hussein. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. And if you tune in via YouTube, do not be cheeky, click subscribe and carry on watching. Today's esteemed guest is joining us from New Jersey, born and raised. He's currently in a brief tour in the UK. MashaAllah, we were in conversation to have him on, but it was going to be an online podcast. So I'm honored to have him in person. He has many accolades, but just to name just a few, um, he completed his degree at the George Washington University and the University of London SOAS, whilst also learning with scholars in the traditional manner. He currently teaches at the New Brunswick Islamic Centre and heads the Safina Society. And that's none other than our dear brother, the seemed brother and teacher, Dr. Shadi al-Masri. Salaam alaykum. Wa alaykum salam, rahmatullah. Good to be here. How was that intro? It was good, nice and short. Yeah, because I was telling you, I find uh, intros a bit awkward. Sometimes some people have a list of accolades. I don't know what you expect to include oh or not goodness. include. I mean, your work's got to speak for itself, so, right? Absolutely. Education. You know how many how many smart people out there uh, got degrees yeah. but achieved nothing, this and how many true. people achieved a lot with no degrees? This is true, right? So your work got to speak for itself. At cer- certain things, your work speaks for itself. Like an athlete, yeah, we know you, right? Your, your playing field, that's what speaks for itself. 100%. I don't need to know that you, you ran the 40 in a meter in this, <laughs> you weight lift that. It doesn't make a difference, right? Uh, artists, right? It doesn't matter what education you have. Uh-huh. Where are your pictures, right? Absolutely. So certain things, if in the public, it speaks for itself. So, 100%. How's your visit to the UK been so far? Well, first of all, um, I'm like solar powered, right? Yeah. I don't do good in the clouds. Okay. But... This has been an amazing week in terms of, mashallah, the weather. I feel like I'm in Florida or Texas or something really? because we've had literally no clouds in the sky. No, no, it's it has sunny. been clear. It's been a clear week. So uh, it's a little changed my perception and my memory. Like I remember England as like 97 out of 100 times you wake up, look for the sun, you can't find it, right? And are you get disappointed. Are you referring to your visit when you were a student here? Yeah, That's it was more like it was home. This was England, London was home for, for about three and a half years. Like when you travel and you come back and yeah. you're like relieved, yeah. that's a sign that that's home. That's ho- of course, 100%. Right? And then your base. When you come to America, when you go to a, back to your home country and mm-hmm. you see how now you have a comparison mm-hmm. and you find things to be odd, like come to America, you find things to be oversized. Okay. Right. Then you realize your, your norms have shifted to 100%. your new. Uh, your new home. So London was home for a while, but uh, uh, my memory of it was more cloudy than it actually is. And is this your first visit since leaving as a student? No, I came back a couple times. Yeah? I came back um, came back for a visit right away, shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. I came back um, for a tour two, uh, seven years ago. And the same brother organized this tour. Mashallah. So. We're very honored to have you. That's my pleasure to be here. Let's kick off this podcast with a few Q&A, quickfire questions. Shoot. Um, if I'm correct, you are someone who adopts mm-hmm. the Maliki Madhab yeah. on most or all your affairs? All affairs. Yeah. Wicked. Um, Pretty so much all affairs. Okay. I think on Vanilla and we follow the Hanafi school. So what I've done with previous uh, scholars yeah. and people of knowledge, when I've asked them fiqh questions, I've asked them if you can get, let us inform us and the viewers if, they, if there's a consensus on this issue. Sure. 
um, if it's if there's a genuine difference of opinion within the school regarding the issue, I got you. Or I don't know. Good. In the Maliki school, mm-hmm. can you have dogs as pets? No, you cannot. Ijma'an in the school. As a pet in the house. A pet is in the house, right? Yes. Uh, it's in the Risal of Ibn Abi Zaid. He, for, he tells it's, it's forbidden. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ had a meeting with Sayyidina Jibreel. Mm-hmm. An appointed time. Sayyidina mm-hmm. Jibreel did not come. So the Prophet ﷺ left the house and found Jibreel there. In human form, of course. Yeah. And Jibreel explained, there's a puppy in the house, right? There's a dog in the house. We don't enter. Angels do not enter the home that has a dog. So um, from that, the Prophet said, the angels do not enter the home that has a dog. That's prohibition because if angels don't go in, that's a loss. We need the angels of mercy in the house. So dogs can exist for shepherds, for the Bedouin, for nomads, if you're homeless, right? Like Ashab al-Kaf were homeless. Of course. They did not have a home. So you need protection. You need these shepherds, German shepherds. Uh, the Turks have their own shepherd yes, dog. Yep. Farmers, nomads, Bedouins, homeless, they have different rules, right? They're allowed to have dogs. And those dogs come into the tent, leave the tent. There's no... The city person who has a home like that, the dog is forbidden in the Madaki school to keep it as a pet inside the home. Um, it, that's not to say that dogs are like bad or anything, but angels don't like to be around them. You don't like to be around cockroaches. Khalas. Right? Yeah. It's just, is there an explanation for that? No, no. I just don't like it. Human yeah. beings do not like to be around spiders. Mm-hmm. Is there an explanation? What's the logical explanation? Nothing. That's how well they're created. Dogs, they tend to have some najas, uh, like they urinate and they defecate and they slobber. So that's something maybe is one of the reasons why angels don't like to be around them. Mm-hmm. So prophets, the prophet has come to connect us to malaika. So we could be have angels all around us at all times. So that's one of the reasons why. And if anyone wants a source, you go to the very early Maliki work, the Risad of Ibn Abi Zayl al-Qairawan, you go to the last few chapters, it's there. Tobacco, smoking tobacco. Medical method, yeah. forbidden. Haram. Haram, not makru. Okay. Haram. Yeah. Okay. Let uh, me tell you an uh, interesting story too. The great scholar Ahmed Tijani, mm-hmm. founder of the Tariqa, mm-hmm. he came about. He 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 was living at a time when tobacco cigarettes became popular, and he wanted the fatwa. So he came all the way to Egypt. He traveled from Morocco to Egypt to meet one of the greatest Madiki jurists at the time. His name is skipping my mind. But that one, he was considered the Sheikh al-Maliki in the world. And he said, we need the fatwa. I need to take your fatwa back. He said, okay, give me a few days. He writes the fatwa. Can I ask you something? Was there a, why was there a need to find that fatwa? Was there not one predating that one? What's that? So, so the Sheikh traveled to get a fatwa. He wanted the fatwa from the most authoritative person that no one would say no to. And was there nothing before that pertaining to tobacco? There probably were fatwa around, okay. sayings, different scholars speaking about it. So he goes and he, he, he tells, give me a few days. His name is given my mind. But he then um, uh, comes back to him. And he said, I gave you the fatwa on the two matters that are popular in the world today. Smoking and drinking coffee. And here's the fatwa. Now, I never release a fatwa unless I first present it and get a sign from Allah that is correct. 
So he said, I saw a vision of the Prophet In this vision, the Prophet was in the house with the Sahaba. And coffee was presented, and the Sahaba and the Prophet partook in it. So I knew my fatwa on the permissibility of coffee. It's not mind-altering. It's mood-altering, maybe. That's permissible. Not only that, it may, there's benefits in it. Keep you up for tahajjud and all that. Then in the vision, a man came to knock on the door. Before he even arrived at the door, the Sahaba ran to block him from coming in. And I said, why are you blocking this man? They said, he's a smoker. Right. And the Prophet him despises the smell of the cigarettes. Right. So that's not the source of the fatwa, of course. The source of the fatwa is book, sunnah, and usul. That was a dream that sort of confirmed for him. So unlike that's I can't say that's ijman that's in the Madiki method prohibition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's the travel distance for 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 Malik? There's some opinions that that is translates the shar'i mile. Yeah. Which is the the burud arbata burud. Yeah. Um, Sheikh Rami and his teachers were giving thirty six English miles. Others had said 48 English miles, and yet others had said 72 English miles. So whatever it is that you are taught by your teacher, you just stick to that, because there's no consensus on it. Uh, do you, are you allowed to combine prayers in the Maliki school? The, the dominant school is that you're allowed to combine prayer in Seir while traveling. So a traveler is in two states, mm. Seir, right? He's either traveling or he's not traveling, moving or not. So you are allowed to combine prayers while moving. When you arrive, you shorten only. But the condition is your trip is less than 20 prayers worth. If your trip is 21 prayers, you're no longer a traveler. Okay? You can't shorten nor combine. So when you arrive, you shorten your prayers. That's the dominant opinion. But there is a, a an opinion that is spread around. And it's a reading from Mukhtasar Khalil that does also permit combining and shortening when you've arrived. But I can't tell you that that's the mashhur. But I can tell you that prominent, big fuqaha practice that. When you say more than 20 prayers, are you talking about 20 divided by five? So five day, four so days, four days. Four days, days are we talking yeah. about, okay. Four days. Um, the utterance of talaq three times, is that an immediate divorce? Talaq, talaq, talaq. That Done. is, no, just the word talaq does not do anything. Three times. No, if I, I could say talaq a hundred times, doesn't mean anything. Anti talaq, you have, right? You are divorced. Just okay. saying the word talaq means nothing. Okay, right? you are divorced. You're divorced. Times. Yes, with Ijma'a Sahaba. The sah uh, Sayyidina Omar, when he saw people doing this and hurting the women, anti talaq, anti talaq, anti talaq, three times. Doesn't make a difference what language could be written, uh, spoken, um, and it could be other words too. Yeah. Other words that indicate divorce, clearly. So, Sayyidina Umar ibn Khattab, he said, okay, if stop doing this. Stop saying it three times. But people wouldn't stop. So he's, he, he made an announcement, and he said, from here on, my judges will rule uh -huh. that th if you utter it three times, we're treating it as a three times divorce. Which means you're taking the marriage lightly, you cannot remarry her, or re take revoke the divorce. You can only remarry her if she marries another man, physically consummates not enters a room alone physically consummates through intercourse mm -hmm. with that man then if she if that marriage fails then you may remarry very difficult process right 
almost impossible. So that's the hindrance from that. Sayyidina Omar said, if you utter it three times, it's a divorce. The Sahaba accepted it. What is that? That's called Ijma'a Sahaba. Who's going to go against Ijma'a Sahaba? Right? So that's why the Madahib, at least the Madhiki Madhab for sure, they hold that. You know, we're not going to go against the Ijma' of the Sahaba. The Sahaba have Ijma' upon that. So we're not going against Ijma' Sahaba. 28 Raqafa Tarawih. Masajid can establish what they want. But the Sahaba established 20. Sayyidina Umar ibn Abdul Aziz to make matters easy for people, shorten the Raqah and increase the numbers. So shorter Raqah, mm-hmm. but more Raqahs, 36 he established. Showing that the, the number is not the Mas'ala. But if a masjid is going to establish something, if they want to follow with the Sahaba, they establish 20. What is the dominant position in the Maliki school? 20. Because that's what the Sahaba established. And 36 is also mentioned because Omar, Sayyidina Omar Abdul Aziz is like a rightly guided, mm-hmm. he acted upon the rightly guided uh, uh, Khalifa's methodology. So, but for the individual, any number of rakas is tarawih. There's no set number, minimum nor maximum. So whether you, pray, if you, Pray Aisha, salam out, get up and pray two rakahs at the tent of being tarawih and then go to sleep. You pray tarawih. Is it a strong tarawih? No, but it's tarawih. That's at the individual. For the masajid, they ought to establish, they can establish any number. Right? In Algeria, they don't do 20 or 36 or 8. What do they do? They do 13. Okay? Based upon a narration that the Prophet's qiyam was 10 rakahs. Ad Shafan Witch, that's 13. So, and they're massive scholars. Uh, there, so uh, it's it's not there's nothing set in stone for that for the number of rakas, but the books do tell you twenty is the number, and that's widespread in the ummah. So, if you're going to establish a masjid, five pillars mosque, okay, twenty rakas. Yeah. Does a woman need uh, the permission of her wali for nikah? Of course, if she was never married before. If she was married before, and she knows the world of men, and she knows how to assess a man now. Because the assumption is that she's, in general, not familiar with the world of men. And if you go, any Muslim girl who's raised by her family, lives by her family, she's not always hanging out with guys, right? That's just, she's hardly ever. Most of the time, no. And if, maybe never hanging out with guys. Maybe there are cousins or whatever. But in general, she, her dad is the filter to that world. So she can't enter that world unless he checks off because the assumption in the Sharia is that dad really cares about his daughter. And will not let her go into harm's way. Mm-hmm. And only wants benefit for her. So, but after she's been in the world of men, she's married a man, she's been intimate with a man, she lived with a man. Now the Sharia gives her the decision. She can marry her. She still needs a wadi. But the wadi simply... And then it can't happen without a wadi. It can happen without a wadi, right? But the... Uh, Wali is still should be there as somebody who is um, her protector in the process, but she's the decision maker. That second marriage, if she's, she can marry herself, but she's still highly recommended for her to have her wali there. So it's not like she's khalas done with the wali. And in practical real life, if you have a good relationship with your dad or your, your wali's going to be there. He, you don't, uh, practically speaking, a woman goes into a marriage to a man and she's just like a lone figure, it sends a message to the guy. Absolutely. Like, you don't you don't have anybody. Like, where, where are your... But if she goes into the marriage, and, oh, well, you got to talk to my dad first. The dad comes in with, like, two sons. Then the uncle comes in. Then the grandpa comes yeah, in. Yeah. Oh, you better be careful. Absolutely. Right? 
So Sharia plans for when things go bad, not only just when things go good. Um, under the Maliki school, do you have to recite any verses uh, in Jama'ah behind the Imam? You listen. Okay, but when the Imam's reciting out loud, you listen. You don't recite anything. Okay. What about um, uh, when he's not reciting? Do you do Fatiha? Recommendation, not obligatory. Okay. Uh, what constitutes as a man's aura in the Maliki school? From the navel to the top of the knee. Top of the knee. Top of the knee. So the bottom of the knee can be shown. Yes. Okay. Uh, lastly, lastly. By oh. the way, the the statements that the Thigh can be shown is not the dominant opinion. Yeah. If you look in the books, there are they have discussion on three possibilities. Okay. One that the thigh area is not the aura. One that it is the aura. The other that is just makruh to show. Okay. Another the caveat there is that it depends on the circumstance, right? But the dominant opinion is that it is forbidden to show the thigh, your thigh to other people. Uh, any type of tattooing, permanent or not. Permissible tattoos. Tattoo are haram it, it, when it, permanent. Absolutely haram per, uh, when permanent. Ijma'an on across all four madhabs. But the non-permanent tattoo, the temporary t- tattoo, henna or sticker or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. it is permitted and it may be makru, could be makru, for a couple reasons. Number one, if it is an imitation of fusaq, for example. Mm-hmm. Fusaq is like people who are wayward and you're imitating them and it's known that that's their attribute, right? Meaning it's associated with the type of people Yeah. I mean the fusaq. Yeah, that anybody in the masjid, any pious Muslim would say, would would hold that, in general society would hold that that is a symbol of those people. They're the ones who tattoo in that way. But you did it in a halal way, but in imitation. The the, the tattoo itself is not the permission, it's the... Imitation. Uh, uh, the issue. The... Imitation is the issue. Okay. So we say that's makru. Yeah. It could be also zina, right? So tattooing excessively for a woman in a way that would get attention from people and would cause people to look at you would also enter the realm maybe between makru, maybe even forbidden. I kind of linked this one and the very last one. Um, piercing for men. Piercing? Yeah. All jewelry for men is haram. But just piercing even. Some people pierce it and don't put nothing in there. No, this is new to me. Okay. But piercing with, with a ring, with an earring or anything like that is not allowed. All jewelry for men is haram. Made haram by the Prophet Except one exception. The ring is an exception. It's an exception that is a sunnah too. And it, that ring has a measurement too. Has a weight. Has a limit. Okay. It can't be certain size. Yeah. There's a way I can't remember what the weight is exactly off the top of my head, but it's a there's a limit to it. And this summary is it to be silver ring with a stone in it. That's it. Yeah, welcome anytime. How did you find? Did you find those questions strange? Beautiful. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Yeah. So look, you're visiting on a on a brief one, on a quick one in the UK, mm-hmm. and at the time of filming this podcast, uh, less than a week ago, a statement, a joint statement, was released. Uh, by uh, a host of North American scholars, uh, yourself included, mm-hmm. uh, and it was called "Navigating Differences," right? Yeah. And it was a nine-page document, eight-page document, and um, in essence, it was basically how to 
kind of hold down the Islamic normative position on the LGBTQ issue whilst living as minorities in a non-Muslim country, but principally standing by what we believe to be the normative position uh, on, on those issues. Um, it's received much praise. Um, it's also received some criticism. Understandably, the nature of these things is that some level of criticism is going to come from somewhere. Yep. Uh, let's put the reaction from non-Muslim liberals aside. Let's more focus on the intra-Muslim, okay. perhaps, criticisms. Um Let's begin with what? What do you? Why did you sign it? Did you feel that a, 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 such a statement was needed, overdue, perhaps? The repetition of the truth is always good, right? There, if you give me a statement right now that mm -hmm. said that something that is obvious to me does not mean it's obvious to everyone else, right? New something could be something uh, I've gone over it fifteen times. A new Muslim may have never heard it. Right, the mother, father, sister, brother of a convert may have never heard it before. Right, mm -hmm. so there's no there's the idea of is it late? Is it overdue? Is it relevant to me? Because relative to whom, the statement is not made for the imams and the duat. The statement is made for regular people, who may have never come across this subject before. Right, you don't understand how many converts people come into Islam. Their family does not know what the heck they did. But like, surely is this Hinduism? Is this, or what is this, right? And I'm, I'm not even kidding. We had a gathering, someone in a park during COVID, mm -hmm. and somebody overheard some women walking, and we literally hijabs there, salah, Quran. These women are walking back, like around the track, like almost like around the park. They keep walking around the park. And then finally, one, one of the sisters hears a woman saying, oh, it looks like it's a Hindu gathering. Right? Don't assume anything anymore in this world that we live in. So I never have a problem with the truth being repeated over and over because it's new to somebody. And it's it's the right tone for somebody. Right? So it's not relative to what I think is what I need. It's relative to what someone else out there needs. And as long as it's within the parameters of the Sharia, nothing's wrong in the Sharia, then all those things are up for discussion. Tone, language, length. All that stuff, but you personally yourself, do you do you what do you think of the timing of it? Did you did you feel it was overdue? Do you think that something like this should have been done earlier? I've been speaking at shouting at the top of my lungs from 2015 about liberals, right? From 2012, individually you have yes, yeah, yeah, about liberals, and I'm like, you know, in in chess or in soccer or in football, when you've been around something so much, mm -hmm. there's something called reading the play. Right, and start to see the signs that this is going to take over, this this uh, um, attitude of these people is a takeover attitude. Can't interact, deal with with these people. You, if you give them an inch, you're going to take a mile. When I say these people, I mean liberals in general. Like the 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 woke, before there was anything called woke ideology, that vibe. They're entitled, and they're not respectful of the sacred. There, we can never jive with these folks. Some of my friends in Dawa even were very lenient towards it, right? And I'm like, these people, they're always dominating everything. They take over everything that they come across. It's not an equal relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, from way back then, I've, I've sort of forecasted within myself that 
we got to cut ties with this group completely. And that was too extreme for most people at the time. It was excessive for most people. The navigating differences statement, it, it comes, it does come at a particular time where we've had uh, a ramping up of, um, of the LGBTQ agenda and it's in many manifestations in mainstream society, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be in advertising, in marketing, uh, brands, shopping, celebrities, sports figures, teams, you name it. Practically, it's, it's, it's pretty much normalized now. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Muslim politicians that are, you know, whether it's across the pond uh, in North America or here in the UK, whether it's Mayor Sadiq Khan or Hamza Youssef here or any of others in, in North America, fully frontline support for the LGBTQ community, not just for the preservation of any, any perceived or rights or anything, but more to do with the advancement of their way of life, you know, teaching it to children as young as three, four and five and so forth. It comes at this specific time, but also at a time where there has been some accusations levied uh, that, you know, quite frankly, we made the mistake, but we, I mean, the Muslim community and our faith leaders made a gamble in allying with the left. Because when it comes to the left, somehow there's issues of racism that we may agree with. Um, there may be issues to do with CVE laws. In, in the case of the UK context, you know, a lot of left-leaning groups, a lot of the woke liberals are also anti-prevent mm-hmm. uh, CVE law. <laughs> but the irony is that they will also uh, perpetuate or contribute to other types of surveillance-type um, systems. But anyway, oh, I digress. Um, They're the sh- biggest surveillance. If you utter a word cancelled. on Twitter, you're yeah, cancelled. So, yeah. On Palestine, they may be outspoken. They so, have good positions. Yeah, so, 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 so these kind of things has made some within the Muslim community more so across the pond in, in, in the States, uh, ally with the left, um, and, and you know not understanding that this was going to be happening in the well, years to end. Okay. You screwed up. Okay. You, you, you came across that whoever came across that um, decision and decided... Do you agree with the observation? Yeah, the observation sound. Okay. And decided that, yeah, the left is the one that's going to help us, right? They may have helped you in some fringe things, but the root of the matter is that their, these, their philosophy is rooted in their desires and just in... in it's, eventually, you're going to cross paths. You have to cross paths with them, eventually. But when you do cross paths, it's utter war, right? It's good. So why go into that conflict in the beginning? Cut it from the beginning, okay. right? End this from the beginning. Is is the decision that was made, whether conscientiously or otherwise, do you believe it was a genuine ishtihadi issue in terms ijtihad. of like... Ijtihad? What's ijtihad? Ijtihad meaning... In what? In the fact that we are living here as minority Muslims. I'm only going to regurgitate yeah. arguments that have already been presented. I got you. All right? Yeah. We are a minority living here at a time like none other in our history as an ummah where there's so many non-muslims living amongst non-muslims Fair in enough. their lands it's okay. in high numbers okay. right? i've been there for like 50 60 70 years okay. um and to survive and preserve our rights and to not be victims of islamophobia state or every day or otherwise we need to position ourselves somewhere politically and the left seemed or appeared to be, and some would argue still are, the more plausible natural allies because they don't want to kill you, they don't want to exterminate you. Um, yeah, but they do want to kill your faith. 
but they don't want to physically kill you and exterminate okay, you. Enough, right? Yeah. Now, whether, whether, now, whether we have a generation of apostates or not is another conversation, right? But to because the other argument is the right want to kill. They want literally want to exterminate you. Uh, wanna, is that really true? I don't think it is. They may have a lot of hatred, but I, I, well, is there are Muslims in Alabama? Yeah, there are Muslims in Texas. There are Muslims in those places. Wouldn't it have happened already? Yeah, wouldn't some violence have already happened? So I get that they hate us, right? And I don't, I don't feel it because no, if 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 I go dressed like this in street clothes, no one necessarily knows I'm a Muslim, All right? Women feel it. They do feel it, yeah, I, and I have to respect their perspective. Right? They feel it, and they feel because of their hijab. Not to cut you up, but they feel because of their hijab. Even young kids know, right, that we get accepted by them because we're different. They accept us, hmm. right? So, because we have something different, right? So, um, they feel it. I have to respect their fifty percent of the population. So their their perspective is something that we're going to take into account. So they feel very much, you know, threatened by the the right, mm -hmm. right, or unsafe in the right. You know, if I, if we were a bunch of guys living in Alabama and the people there didn't want us, this is the most exciting thing ever. We're going to have a fight, brawls, riots mm -hmm. every day, mm -hmm. right? And it's going to be, and I think that we eventually we will come to an agreement, personally speaking, because these are people who believe in, in, in uh, an objective truth, right? And they believe in right and wrong. Okay, so we're, we're already in common. We have something in common. We're talking about the, right, the what's, right. What's generally perceived as the right. If yeah. there was such a thing as the right, they want you dead and all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that's just a, um, you know, it's just, uh, I'm just imagining what life would be like if, if we had that situation. And so, anyway, keep so, going. With so, 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 so the ijtihad, I mean, let's do, let's do inverted course here. The, yeah. the, the ijtihad would be that, look, we made a decision collectively or individually as faith leaders, as a movement in some cases or as groups, that this particular spectrum of politicians or activists in the West are the ones who would be our natural allies because we seem to have a lot in common with them. We're, we're also a discriminated minority and so forth, right? Yeah. And this is a call that we've made and we, we deem this to have been the correct one. And therefore, when it comes to the issue of LGBTQ, um, whilst we can say that the acts themselves are haram by consensus, we are living here amongst non-Muslims in a non-Muslim land, and we too need to kind of advocate and preserve and protect their rights, or at least respect their right to do X, Y, and nah, Z. No, I'm not respecting anything. Uh, and I have nothing to do with this. You guys do that on your own. Okay. I can already foresee the way that these people behave. It's very nice on the outside, very glossy on the outside, but uh, eventually you're gonna cross paths Okay, and they will, they're vicious when you cross paths. It's gonna get vicious. And you have to edit out part of your religion a lot. I'm not saying I wanna go pick fights with everybody. And I'm not saying that you're not ever gonna have an alliance. Like if I'm living in my local township, I'm gonna treat people based on what do we need to do? What do I need What do we, with them? I'm gonna treat the people on an individual basis, right? Republican or Democrat. Because truth of the matter is that you do need at some point to interact with your larger society. Absolutely. If I have a big organization, mm -hmm. I need to be on good terms with the mayor, with the chief of police. I need to be on good terms with the representatives, the congressmen. I need to 
either that or I leave, right? Because you need, if you're an organization and you're a big community, you will be interacting with these people. Why have a headache? So I understand the need to interact, but a lock stock, a whole, a wholesale joint, you know, coll uh, open collaboration like that. No. Dr. Shadi, don't you think it's a quite a strong case to present that on paper? Palestine, racism, CVE laws, Islamophobia. What is this alliance going to do? The problem I'm trying to say is that on paper, those are quite powerful things because these are things that do affect Muslims. What is the source of all those sympathies? What is the source? For who? The source for who? The liberals or the Muslims? For the liberals. Oh, yeah, for the liberals is that obviously... Just minority rights. Yeah, minority about with obviously a much longer agenda, of course. When, <laughs> when the liberals deal with Muslim countries and the Sunnis are the majority, we're the bad guy. Yeah. And they will support every little Qadiani, yogi, atheist, Muslim, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's who they'll su Druz, support. Druz, everything. Every so yeah, their, their usul, yeah. just because at one moment in time, there's a parallel between two roads. Mm. Are we going to be all happy all of a sudden? Eventually, these roads are going to cross. So. so how do we then navigate, pun intended, how do we then navigate in environments, in societies where a significant demographic of the people lean towards uh, such persuasions and ideas um, in schools, amongst teachers, um, practitioners in the education sector and so forth? We have to navigate our differences with them. Um, what would your advice be to students in MSAs and Islamic societies here? who find themselves in that situation, at that crossroads where, subhanAllah, you know, as Muslims, we're pro-Palestine, for our brothers and sisters in Palestine and occupied Palestine. Um, Islamophobia affects us. Most Muslims in the UK, 70% plus, are people of colour. So, so they, they are non-Caucasian. So these things affect us. And we find that in the university um, situation, they seem to be the most available allies give me a specific hypothetical because so what you, you, okay, okay, you gave a blanket thing it's, give very, me a specific it's very common that islamic societies and embassies would hold joint events with the palestine solidarity campaign societies or certain pro-palestine societies i mean this this is standard like many msas many isocs will do joint events those pro-palestine societies that exist uh, have left-leaning pro-lgbtq atheists all kinds of things happening there of that of the left-leaning um, demographic and they are also outspoken in Palestine so when it comes to an Islamic society or an MSA holding an event on an LGBTQ issue they may have to self-censor to some extent because of their alliance with a non-Muslim or mixed pro-Palestine society where this did, happens I ask myself where does victory come from? from Allah of course so then why do I need these groups? Because we find ourselves in a situation where we do not hold authority and power and we need so to... The, so the mentality from the get-go is we're weak. Okay. We're not weak. So what's your advice to these, to these students? We have to be original from ourselves, right? Understand where power comes from. I can't give advice to the students, I'm not in their shoes, right? But general principles. We're not weak, right? We have... We, have, we, we may be on the chessboard appear weak, right? But those victory, true success and victory will not come from those groups, right? It's not going to come from those groups. And on top of that, 
the Palestine issue. I've never understood local activism on the Palestine issue. Maybe, I guess, raising awareness, right? Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't get too cozy with anyone who I know. In the future, we're going to cross paths. So what do I have to not speak out against atheism now? I can't speak out against anything. I have to censor too much. It's not a good deal, mm. right? So uh, I, I've never seen... So, well, why don't, we, why don't I ask you this, right? If this is the norm, what are the results? What have where where give me show me the result show me the profit of such alliances? I mean, look, those as in like the deliverables. What 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 what? Yeah, where are the, the deliverables? Outcome? Okay, deliverable. I mean, they they could argue, argue a fair amount of things. No, they, I want to know what the deliverables are, not what they're arguing there. Well, some of the things that would be argued is that Palestine is being discussed in mainstream politics. We've had that in North America and we've had that in the UK. So these politicians, uh, Muslim politicians or non-Muslim politicians, the ones who are pro-LGBTQ or have made alliances with uh, those leaning politicians and activists and movements, they now also speak about Palestine in the House of Parliament. I forgot the Somalian sister's name, the American uh, Democrat. What's her name? I, I forgot. I forgot. Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar. You know, she yeah. talks about Palestine, you know, Russia, the Talib, you know, she slams Israel, you know, so, you know, this is, this is the outcome. This is the deliverable. This is the result. We are now get, we are now have politicians who are criticizing uh, Israel and its occupation, the heart of the governments uh, and parliaments of the West. If uh, a liberal army yeah. marched on Israel and said, we are liberating Gaza, we are making Gaza a state. Mm. Okay. Right. I would say. We're just trading one problem for another. Okay? Yeah. We're just trading one problem for another. Because when those people liberate you, you owe them now. Right? I don't want you liberating me. Okay? I'll liberate myself. Because if you liberate me, now I owe you. Now I have to tiptoe with your agenda. Okay? I have to make sure that you get your paid back. So I'm very careful if I'm drowning, who saves me? Right? Could, could there be principled engagement? With either left or right. You're asking somebody who has blacks and whites, right? So tell me about your blacks and whites then. Surely there can be times where there can be principled engagement. This is why I'm not in politics. On single loan issues. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't have experience in this because I have a low threshold of tolerance for something that I know in the future there's not going to be much of a, uh, of a relationship here. So how have you navigated your difference? I haven't navigated anything. I do my own thing. You're telling me Dr. Shadil Masri, in his many years of traveling, studying, living, surviving, yeah. being a community person, you've never had to cross paths with the left. No, of course I did. In, in a work capacity, in I an did. educational capacity, in a, in, in a community capacity, no? Of course I did. So yeah. how, did, how did you navigate those differences? In the same way I navigate with a Hindu or, or, or a Christian, right? You go do your thing, I'm doing my thing. We had the chair of a department one time, she was a lesbian, right? I did my thing, you do your thing, right? We're, I'm not going to put myself in a situation where we're ever going to have to talk anything outside of the department work. Okay. Right? I had colleagues uh, in universities who were homosexuals, right? Mm. And who were, okay, you do your thing, I'm doing my thing. Like, what's the business here? That's why I asked, what is a specific relationship? Okay. And I'm glad you actually gave the example of, the anecdotal example of, I will treat them or engage them as I would with a hint or someone else. One of the criticisms... Uh, levied at the navigating uh, differences statement was that the tone and language at times was one of coexistence 
acknowledgement if not overtly the the tone and the language um i, I know you're going to probably ask for specific quotes if not i'm just saying that was that in the in the text coexistence what it was in the text was it in the text i can't even remember to be honest with you i, I can't record i it didn't anymore. remember i know that's, any that's really red bad flag. as a host <laughs> that's really bad well, we can pull it up nafiz why don't you pull it up tell us if there is coexistence in there yeah. why don't i ask you this or i'll just tell you this right away um coexistence to me is something that is not in my choice right i have to coexist mm -hmm. with the people that are around me i don't have a choice you asked me how i navigate it how i navigated it is i would say i deal with them i don't want to have problems i'm i'm in my business you're in your business right that's it i'm in my business you're in your business that's my navigating differences is i'm not going to attack you and i expect you not to come is at me is is let me let, let me see that please so I can give you my sharh. No, no, thank you. Or how I how I perceived uh, it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this guy's got everything. He's highlighted it already. Okay. Mashallah. All right. So it says here, we also acknowledge their constitutional right to live in peace and free from abuse. We acknowledge that that's the law, right? Not validating it or believing that that's the correct law or whatever, but that's the law. Hmm. <sighs> Nevertheless, we emphasize our God-given and constitutional rights to hold. By the way, when I'm saying that, I'm, I mean that acknowledging something just means I recognize it exists. That that's a law that exists this, in this land. It doesn't mean I validate it or not. I, I have no choice, right? It's a law that's there. I can agree or disagree. Nevertheless, we emphasize our God-given and constitutional right to hold, live by, and promote our religious beliefs in the best manner. Without fear of legal reprisal or systematic marginalization. Peaceful coexistence does not necessitate agreement, acceptance, affirmation, promotion, or celebration. Okay? Mm -hmm. I got Hindu neighbors, right? Do I, do they expect me because I'm waving to them that I I affirm their religion and their gods? They do not affirm mine. I don't affirm theirs. But we get we're stuck on the same cul-de-sac, right? We're stuck in the same street. Khalas, let's like make the best out of it because I have no other choice. Does coexisting mean that there has to be some level of censorship or restraint on enjoying good and forbidding evil? Um, we need to do dawah. We need to do dawah. We have... Of which enjoying good and forbidding evil is an aspect of it, surely, Sheikh. We can't forbid you if you don't accept my sources yet. I need to convince you of my sources of truth. Once you're convinced of that and you act differently, then I can commend right and forbid okay, wrong. Okay, I gotcha. Okay. Right? So okay. we need to do dawah. We need to say, and this is somebody told me this in private, so I can't really say his name. Okay. But I agreed with it 100%. We should have dawah. There should be a statement saying, people, this is not a good way to live. We have a creator, right? This is the best way to live that's proven throughout history is families and homes. Man and woman in in a home raising kids, okay. Biologically, that's where the fluids naturally mix, and the, biologically, this is what is natural and 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 physically not harmful. And it's physically your body is made for this. The 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 the, the female will excrete certain fluids when the male organ is there. It's like the body's made for this. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. The other way around. The right? other way around. Or any other way around. Or any other way around. <laughs> Shouldn't that tell us something, right? Uh, where is the dawah? Like, let's do dawah and say, listen. So how does that look like then? It says, 
my way of dawah what is your how would you yeah this is again this is some level of hypothetical but i'm sure maybe you've thought about this how would the dawah of lut alayhi salam look like in 2023 my way of dawah is by demonstration more than talking okay anyone can talk right we can talk i don't mind talking and saying people that it's not gonna, this is not good for you. Is the Dawah of Lut al-Islam the closest model for us to emulate? Well, we don't know what exactly how he did it, right? He warned. He warned, yeah. But in harsh terms. We don't know did they believe in Allah at the time. Okay. Were they on for a the whole other, like we don't know okay. if do we know do we have that information? We don't. Know. Were they all of the same deen to the fact that they were like believers who did that? Or disbelievers who, who did, it was one of the things, many things that they did. Exactly. Yes, yes. If that's the, if the latter is the case, then I cannot forbid you on something you don't even believe the sources of my prohibitions. So, yes. So the demonstration to me is going to be over the long run. All Muslims need to do is practice their deen properly. You're going to see over the long run. Let's zoom out. Okay. You guys led this life. We led this life. Where are we now with families put together? Kids, grandkids, a, a, a strong population. And add other things. Intoxicants are down. Suicide is down. Depression is down. All these terrible things in a package. Overall, okay, we are many percentage points less in those harms than you. And then you get an aggregate, like a cumulative massive difference. So if the way of life as a Muslim, when it comes to intoxicants, getting drunk, Bad things happen when you're drunk. That's down even just a little bit, but clearly down. Depression, it's down. Okay. Um, general overall happiness in life is up. Population is up. Debt because of interest and, and all that stuff, down. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so financial stability, up. Friends. I don't, when I was in high school as a Muslim and I didn't have, I, when I consciously started practicing Islam, I just I stepped away from a lot of groups. Agreed. And I felt like lonely. Mm -hmm. And I'm. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? But now, fast forward, every Muslim, if just going to the message, you're going to have tons of friends. Friends up, right? Uh, busy in life socially up. Every single one of these categories, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. That difference becomes a big cumulative difference in the way of life that to me is the real dawah and people will just say that the muslim they it's different they're more stable they're more uh, emotionally you know uh stable they're ha they seem happier okay they take care of each other they take care of their parents like that to me is dawah so isn't uh, so as part of that part, part of that of is the sexual our sexual and gender fiqh yeah our laws we have laws god gave laws he owns this body mm-hmm he gave me certain rights to behave certain ways, but he set limits. That's the biggest difference between us and liberals. I don't own my body, right? I can do what I want with it. I am owned, right? And guided. I'm owned by someone who doesn't benefit from me, right? The ownership, I benefit. Unlike slavery, where you benefit from the worker or the slave. No, Allah doesn't benefit from us. We benefit from him. And he set us tracks. Live on these tracks, you'll see the results. If I were to ask you that, um, again, just staying on this topic and on this specific point of the seriousness. Mm. Open it again for me, please. Uh, the, I want to finish the the, 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 the the seriousness of that particular lifestyle from the standpoint of our faith 
um, that look, you know, this specific issue mm-hmm. uh, from a Quranic perspective, um, you know, it resulted in a punishment from Allah yep. uh, and, and, and a very serious and significant one mm-hmm. um, in terms of the the nature of how the people of Sodom were destroyed, right? Yep. Um, so therefore, I'm just saying that this is the argument that's levied, that's presented, is that because of the seriousness of this and the belief amongst the Muslims that they were the first people to do that specific act, right? You know, to just coexist, to just say, to me, my religion, to you, your way of life, let us be, is not enough. This is actually not the Dawah of Lut salam or anything that resembles. That's correct. Because we have to actively warn against this life. It's come, to, it's come to our doorsteps. It's affecting our children. They're promoting in our schools. So 100% we have, correct. So, we can't stay silent about this. Yeah, so, but, but this is not silence. How could it be promoting silence if the statement itself is telling you, right, that we are not this? Coexisting might be the, the the issue. Coexisting to me, as I said earlier, is something that happens because it's not my choice. I have no choice. Okay, I have no choice. Like I can't kill you. You can't kill me. I can't delete you from life. Right? It's not the so that's how I understood the coexistence part. But I understood. But what needs to happen is, as we said, we need to constantly reiterate and repeat. What is better? You want to see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking at the meaning of what coexist actually means. And I don't think a caveat to coexistence necessarily has to be harmony. Such coercive ultimatism. <laughs> no, harmonious co. I think that um, the, th- the general statement yeah. says here, we refuse the false choice between succumbing to social pressures to adopt views contrary to our beliefs or facing unfounded charges of bigotry. Such coercive ultimatums undermine prospects of harmonious coexistence in general. But no... We our goal is not to harmoniously coexist, harmoniously. Okay, you go and be on the path to what we believe is the path of hell. Ahnu wasahnan. You ahnu wasahnan. So this is the point of No, no, no. I'm, that's yeah. not that 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 is not something that um, we can stand up for. I can't imagine that someone, the author of this, like Sheikh Hatsim al-Hajj, intended that, right? Uh, if that's what came across, and if that's the only way to read it. We, we have to be constantly doing dawah and saying to our own community, mm-hmm. this is Islam right here. These are the limits of Islam put down by Allah. That's our religion. And to the larger society, we can invite them to interact with us mm-hmm. and let them see for themselves the result of this way of living, right? Let them see the results. That's the best dawah. But for ourselves, nonstop repetition of what is non-stop repeating what are the parameters of islam what are the essence of islam what is the purpose what what are the main teachings of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam non-stop it should be such that the whole world knows our stance on these things it's got to be said over and over and over and over to that degree but the idea here that we want to harmoniously that's why i don't like interfaith it cancels dawah in a sense if i'm going to be all fuzzy wuzzy with you as a priest, but 
truth is, I want to give you da'wah. I need to tell you, you are wrong about Jesus. And isn't that the only interfaith that Islam acknowledges, where we convey the deen to them? Yeah. I mean, let's be honest about it. Yeah. Interfaith, from a Quranic perspective, even yeah. when Allah tells us to come to a common word with the Nasara, is nearly always to tell them that they've got it wrong and to worship Allah alone, right? Correct. You're undermining da'wah by these, uh, by a lot of those types of interfaith. Interfaith, inter-community So why is relations. it so popular and why do so many run to it? Why is it so attractive? Why is it so appealing? Why do so many do it for the photos and for the names and for the... I, why, think, why, why? That, I think that they find themselves that they want to be integrated. No one likes to feel left out. No one likes to feel on the margin. I take it a look at your perspective is one of... Your, the, the, your, your foundation is one that you are weak Okay, and that you need to fit in. If that's the case, then we need to change that perspective. You're not weak. You got something powerful. You can transform this. The larger, the smaller group can transform the bigger group. But we have to live by example. Interfaith that I accept is it's not even interfaith. It's community fellowship. Meaning, thank you. This is the disclaimer I was going to add, but I'm going to let you just say what it is. Yeah. My what I believe is is good and sound and fine. Have an open house in the masjid. I'll just eat. We don't have to talk about anything. Let's just get to know each other. Because I personally believe when people meet practicing Muslims oh, many times over the span of years, they have to see a difference. They will see a difference. Not only that, you bring in Masajid, we believe in Malaika. We believe there's Sakina there. Mm -hmm. We believe there's a greater Sakina there than and, than temples and churches. Absolutely. Like we, I believe that there's darkness in those places. Right? Because the doctrines that you're saying there does not invite angels. The only good thing that you may have is the name of Allah and the name of the prophets mm. that you say, Jesus and Moses, mm. because Allah himself in the Quran says, يُذْكَرُ Allah." So he, he cited the only good thing, mm. the word God, the word mm -hmm. Gabriel, the word Jesus, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. it. But how you string it together is all wrong. But also interfaith when it means coming together with different faiths to, to prevent a greater actual evil like drugs or okay. prostitution or stuff that, like this. That is good, but it has a bad side. Talk to me. What's the bad side? The good side of working together with other religions is that you can actually accomplish something as a block. I wouldn't mind a, a bunch of Catholics, maybe Orthodox Jewish rabbis, and Muslims coming together on a statement on the, this issue. I wouldn't mind that. I'll tell you where it, there is a bad, the, the flaw in that is that, as I said yesterday at the, uh, the, the talk in, in Karima Foundation, Karima Foundation has put together this tour as That's did, brother, some at Medina 313 Sheikh Ansar. Right? But, and that's a great organization, by the way, if you know about it, yeah, no, no, no. You know about it? Yeah, yeah I've okay. I, ro I rolled with the. They do great things with the kids, and yeah, yeah. they got. They... I, do, I, do, I do some jujitsu down there. Sometimes. Okay, good. All right, everyone here in England is doing jujitsu. What is this? Right. Every single little message I go to, oh, we got jujitsu here. We got. What, what's going on? Yeah, we're just twisting people up. Okay, we? <laughs> we, we, we really don't have that, right? <laughs> I've, I've heard more about jujitsu in this tour than I have in the last 10 years in America. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's a big and growing thing. Okay, so I'll tell you what's the bad side of those um that alliance is that the reason we're in this situation in the west is that the jewish and christian faiths do not have what it takes okay to handle 
the calamities that Satan has brought forth. That's the truth. Not only that, you contribute to it. No offense to my, my like some, I have, I have good relations with some Catholics, okay? No offense to them, but you know where, we, where I come from. You're the reason for a lot of these problems. You couldn't stop the atheists, the philosophers. You couldn't answer them. You couldn't convince your kids, you couldn't fill your kids' hearts with enough sakina to keep this religion going. When the temptations came and they thought with their mind and they asked their heart, you failed. They went with the route of temptation. Historically speaking, you can't really prove your book is the actual word of, of that Jesus brought or Moses brought. Any intellectual will say, it's myths. There's no real chain here. There's no historicity to this, yep. right? Not enough to change my life, to stop doing interest, just to lower my gaze. These are big asks. I need to know for sure Jesus said that. For sure Moses said that. If you're telling me it's just, a, it's just thousands of years ago, Okay, that's a nice story, but I can't change my life on that. You know how hard it is to to not commit adultery, right? Fornication when you're young, it takes a lot of effort, right? That effort has to be underwrited by some real historicity a here. Solid foundation. Solid foundation. Absolutely. Atheists bring questions. Do you answer them, right? Yeah. Does your theology make sense? And then let's get to the actual reality of it. When I practice this religion, do I feel something in here? Do I feel a Sakina? So I say that we're in this situation because of those false religions, right? Because of that. The most atheistic place in the world today is Boston, and it's filled, it's it's the origin of the Protestants. Mm -hmm. Like the pilgrims came, not the origin of the Protestant religion, obviously, yeah. but the, the pilgrims came, yep. that was their home. Yep. Look at your kids. Fast forward down, they hate this thing. They hate religion, right? But that was the home. Uh, all the Irish Catholics, they got a lot of problems. They made movies about it, right? With all the sexual abuse of kids. Mm -hmm. So yes, that's it. one reason I would not want to pair my brand of Islam. I would not want to pair the brand of Islam with those other ones. We believe you are the cause of a lot of these problems. You are a failed ship, okay? On top of that, we don't, we don't believe it's true, right? You've warped the scripture. Okay. And I'm sure the Catholics and Jews believe the same thing about us. Jews believe it about Christians and Muslims. The Christians will believe the same thing about us. Fine. So, but the uh, alliance with them on a moral issue has a lot of virtues, but you also need to put the brakes a little bit. Mm -hmm. I do not want Islam to be banded together with Judaism and Christianity because we're very different. We never had an issue with science. We never had a conflict with observing the world and looking at our book. We never found a conflict. Or pursuing knowledge or anything of that We nature. never had a conflict with sexuality. Nope. Right? We never had a conflict with using logic and reason. 100%. We've never had these conflicts, right? So we've never had a conflict with proving our history. We've never had a situation where we discovered that all of our salaf lied to us. And these right? are problems that the other two do have. Massive problems. That's Massive. why these religions failed, the people. Yep. So I want to announce, I would like to announce to the world, we are so different. Our concept of God on top of that is completely different. Their mujassima, their God is a physical God in the universe, right? They have no concept of tenzi, what we call tenzi, transcendence of God. And when they do, they're copying uh, uh, Islamic theologians, hmm. right? They're copying Islamic theologians. And I see them in one sermon, they don't, they don't need to copy properly. In one sermon, they will say God is wholly other 
Okay. And I even heard one guy, he's wholly other, right? Meaning he is not in time, place, or whatever. But then wait a second, what about Jesus then? Right? Am I getting these things wrong here? Am I like, uh, you know, so they do, they did benefit a lot from Islamic theologians, mm -hmm. Muslim theologians. I mean, you have the one guy, William Lane Craig knows more about Ashadi theology than most Ashadis. Absolutely. Right? But then when it comes to his own religion, and his own belief about Jesus, uh, yeah, props. So they have all those issues. That's our position. Why would I want Islam to be next to these things that failed? If if you had if you had a running shoe, right? And I don't know if you remember this, but and one was a basketball shoe. I don't know. It was, it was a basketball shoe, and they got Stefan Marbury. I think it was Stefan Marbury to to wear them as a contract, right? On the first night that he wore it, it was a primetime game. The guy goes up for a layup, comes down, bends his ankle, rolls his ankle. Oh, wow. Well, what does that mean? The shoe stunk, right? The and one shoe stunk. It didn't protect him. It's supposed to protect you from that. That was a live failure. A you went up in flames, right? Yeah. On TV, and they knew that we're done. Yeah. The first <laughs> jump he did in the first quarter, and he's out for the season. I think he was out for like... Half the season. They're star player for the other team. Mm -hmm. Would you want now Nike to say, oh, we're all sneakers, right? Nike and one. Why would you want to be associated with and one? You screwed up, right? I don't want to be associated with you. I want to announce to the world, we are different from you. So that's one of the reasons why there's a side effect, a negative side effect to pairing ourselves and having a joint statement. The joint statement may have a positive side effect of actually telling the world that this thing is bad. So I would support it with a caveat that put the brakes on a little bit because you're doing a disservice to Islam by pairing it with, with those two religions. I want to add something very interesting. Um, it's, it's actually linked directly to what you've just said. Um, sometimes when I converse with some non-Muslim friends, uh, some of them are Christian, mm -hmm. some of them are not necessarily Christian, but they they think they espouse or believe traditional values and so forth. And I say to them, look, guys, yeah, and they're very overtly anti-LGBT. I said to him, look, the problem, you know, we, we could argue that the problem started when the abandonment of the institution of marriage started happening in the West, which broke the family. And then you had the sexual liberation movement, which basically said that you could basically sleep with as many people as you want, so as long as you're not infringing on anyone else or imposing on anyone else and not raping anyone else and doing things safely within the law, consent and all of that stuff, it's all gravy. And quite frankly, Christianity couldn't deal with that shift. It couldn't deal with that change. Well, couldn't right? feel, it couldn't satisfy people. It couldn't. Because even now, because I was speaking to a friend who was Christian, he goes, yeah, you know, uh, Christian dating, you know, they date, uh, you know, they hold hands. They, you know, you, 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 you can give your, it can give a, a Christian girl who you're dating a peck on the cheek in front of a father and stuff like this. I said, look, yeah, this is strange. We don't have this. We would never allow this. We would never tolerate your this. Your grandparents would not have allowed yeah, it. Exactly. Christian yes, yeah, Christian grandparents. Yeah, your great grandparents would not have allowed it. Catholic right? or Protestant. Yeah, it would not have allowed it. You had chaperones. You had something that we call mahram and this stuff too. So, what does it make sense to me when I converse with some friends? I say that, look, man, I find it hard to understand how you guys can be anti LGBT, but then disrespect the institution of marriage, see it as something that's like a bondage to you guys. Um, you guys still believe that someone should be allowed to sleep with how many people they want without committing to marriage or anything like this. But I don't understand how someone who believes those things can be anti-LGBT. 
And I find that the, the where we find ourselves with the LGBTQ agenda, the movement, the lifestyle, its promotion and so forth, is actually a natural progression to where it all started 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. And that was with people not marrying as often. Marriage basically broke up. It's an institution that's still seen as somewhat in many liberal sectors as archaic and backward. And, you know, it's something that, you know, you should test your partners before you commit all, all the stuff. Right. So given all that, I agree with you that, you know, Christians and Jews or Christianity and Judaism failed to answer and address the issues which we find ourselves in right now. Given that situation, the Sheikh, right, we are still in the unique situation the Muslims in the West, whether we're in the UK or in Canada or in America or in Australia or New Zealand, Europe, wherever it may be, we still find ourselves as a minority community, um, perceived and surveilled very differently to any other community that exists in society. We are seen as the fifth column. We are seen as people who cannot and be trusted. So? We are seen as people whose loyalty is that a surprise? We are seen as people whose loyalties are elsewhere. Yeah. yeah, they can never truly be British or American. They have the loyalty to this thing called Ummah and so forth, right? A handful of their people, when, when, when it all goes pear-shaped, they will go blow things up. They'll drive cars and, and go into clubs and start shooting up people and all these kind of things. Okay. You know, they teach their children stuff, madness in the madrasas and so forth. So we are a community that's heavily surveilled. It's not entirely trusted. Um, there's things that are happening abroad in the Muslim world that's directly affecting us here. Given this very unique and hostile situation, Dr. Shadi, mm. do we not have to make certain exceptions when it comes to alliances? Whether it be with the left or those who happen to be pro-LGBT or with those who Orthodox Christians and Jews, um, you know, is it a case of preserving Muslim rights versus preserving Islamic identity? What is it? Because is unique situation and perhaps some of the things that we're ad addressing theoretically is actually harder to practice because we because it's, it's hard out here and the foundation of your question disgusts me but it's one that's asked and it's one that's presented i will not answer the question i will correct the foundation of this question this is a person who needs help this is a person who is a, a negative this is a person who needs to be lifted up and clean your eyes out and start saying alhamdulillah the start, entire basis of start looking at fiqh. all the pro the positives start looking at all the positives is it minority fiqh a manifestation of this or what's known as minority fiqh living amongst non-muslims especially the modern connotation and the conversations and the work and the discourse around it isn't it about that very thing it's about the foundation principle framework that everything is bad that everything is impossible, that no good is happening, that we can't practice our religion. And let us now look at every flaw in the room. That's the foundational mentality of that question. The questioner needs help in, in re-cleaning out, they need to hose down his brain. Nine, and his heart 9-11 is very serious 7-7 seven, seven is very serious the war on terror is very serious do you all know how many people have converted and love islam do you, this person the laws that are coming in yeah. year government after government year after year that attack us that surveil us i'm talking about these are the things that people there will are, say to justify alliances whether it be interfaith or otherwise there are courts that have upheld the right for masajid to exist and have given them awarded them millions of dollars let us now uh, go down the path of this person 
and end up on Prozac and antidepressants because all they see is the negative. Nothing that comes out of such a person is good. Nothing that comes out of such a, a, a mentality is good. Everything that comes out of such a mentality is going to be self-defeating because his mind is already self-defeated. Because this person, how did this person live? Everything we look around, let's find the negatives. Let's look at everything, how everything's bad. Let's see how everything could go bad. Why does it have to be negative? Why can't it just be a case of a person who's mindful and conscious of how they're going to survive? Let me teach you how to survive. You can only survive how you feel. You cannot survive and thrive if you are like a scared mouse. They don't survive, they get killed. You are the first person who's gonna get killed. The one who thrives and survives is the one who is constantly upbeat. Let's go. It's a sunny day. Smile. Say alhamdulillah. Make wudu. Make yourself look good. There's a lot of good things going on. That action from that perspective will always be good. From that perspective, things will always be good. If you are, the Prophet was surrounded by armies coming thousands, ten times more than the men of Medina. And they had a week to dig this trench and they were hit a problem, a very big problem. The khandaq. Part, khandaq. Yeah. part of the trench mm -hmm. was stone, immovable stone, unbreakable stone. That's a problem. That's a bridge for the enemy. That is an existential problem, physical existential. Physically, we will all be killed because of this thing. The Prophet sees the Sahaba gathering around it feels that sees the look on their faces the look on their faces we're we're done if we don't get this 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 rock and it's the old world you can't just break a rock right what did the prophet sallallahu do he takes one strike and of course there's a spark right mm -hmm. the spark is pretty big he tells the sahaba who are at this moment facing utter death okay straight death all of us going to be killed okay and he says that's persia we're going to conquer Persia. Strikes it again. We're going to conquer Yemen. Strikes it again. Byzantium. What? Wait a second. He changed how they think. He changed their mood. Sheikh, didn't the Munafiqeen say something during that situation? I'm sure they did. Sounds like those people. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so they, they, they said that here we are. We can barely relieve ourselves in Thank peace. You. We can barely uh, go to uh, the bathroom in peace. And Muhammad's and giving glad tidings of, of conquest. World conquest. You, that questioner, mm -hmm. he needs to be sidelined. Your perspective, your foundation, all your negativity, come to me, I can give you therapy. Right? Because that mentality is the first thing that's got to change. That, that mentality that, that we're a bunch of mouse, uh, mice that are about to get exterminated. But the mentality is, is, is grounded on something, Sheikh. Not all facts should be talked about. I mean, not all facts should be focused upon the mindset has a context though surely is that something we can at least acknowledge between ourselves the the, the defeatist victim scared survival mindset is one that's grounded on something it's grounded on what you're looking at and you can it, as easily it's grounded on the it reality doesn't take saint, it doesn't take sainthood to see other realities it doesn't take magic to see other realities yes that is a reality there are other realities there are realities about this room that we could talk about and i could make you depressed and I could say, we got to change this whole podcast, right? I could do that. I could use my mind to look at all those realities. The weak mind cannot control itself from looking at what is damning and dooming and all that stuff. That's a weak mind. You should not be a leader. Okay. The strong mind insists, I'm going to look at what can project me forward. 
I'm going to look for that rubber band that can project me forward. And you can only act how you feel. Allow, right? me, to, uh, allow me to perhaps reword that question from, from a mindset point of view, right? From a maslaha and a mafsada point of view, looking at the harms and benefits of allying or positioning yourself with one group or another, you have to weigh and assess these very tangible harms that have affected us as a community when making a decision on allying with X, Y, or Z. Only that's, 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 only that's the point I'm trying to make. Only if you have proven that you are also looking at all the positives, right? Then if you, if you have proven that and you're not going down this rabbit hole of depression, right, which will lead to nothing good, right? Then that type of person, we can say, yes, okay, we got to take some precautions. After you have proven that you are someone who sees all the positives too, then you're seeing with two eyes. Right now, you're only seeing with one eye. You're only seeing you know, that perspective of things. It's not going to inform a good decision. When you see the positives and the negatives, that is the perspective that will inform productive, cautious behavior. As someone once said, the optimist invents the airplane, the pessimist invents the parachute, right? So um, I'm not, I agree. We do have to look at that. But when, after you've proven to me, because right now, that person's unhealthy. That person's conclusions will not lead to anything good, right? He will sell way too much. He will, he will undersell himself, right? And he will mess us up. He can't be a leader. But when you see both perspectives... Okay, that's when you have a measured uh, conclusion. We've had 20 years of, of politics and dawah that's been heavily influenced by that mindset, though. If not overtly, it's there. It's very much present, isn't it? Yeah. The way we speak and what we speak about, tone, language, topics, censorship, um, you know, how, how, how open and frank we are on, on, on certain positions, certain issues. But I don't hear them speaking enough about the power that we have. That's why I'm rejecting this perspective. I'm not saying every fact that they're saying is false. I'm not saying precaution is not necessary, but I'm saying the perspective is warped. I don't see this, them valuing the power of the malaika that we are able to bring down with our deen. We are able to bring down malaika that brings so much sakina to people's hearts. They're looking for it. They need it. They're thirsting for it, right? When I see the absence of that perspective, I cannot trust that leadership. I cannot trust that that conclusion. I should say, some could right? take some could take from some of the some of your choice of language that you've mentioned throughout this discussion, is that sounds somewhat isolationist. No, I'm not isolationist. Se no, I'm the opposite. Segregationist. I'm, uh, no, I'm the opposite. I'm the one saying we have so much to offer. We need to go out there with 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 what we have. So much we to offer. We need to invite people into what we have. Right. We need to look at the people out there that are willing to talk to us. They want to talk to us. They just don't know how to go about talking to us. There are so many people out there that want what we have. And there are so many people that just open neutral books. And there are so many people who may misunderstand us, but they're open-minded. So I'm actually, I find them to be that perspective. I should, I'm not going to say them. There's no such people. You're, it's all hypothetical. Mm -hmm. That perspective is the one that's saying everyone's out to get us. And let's reach out to anyone who will be friends with us. You were bullied in school. 
there you go. So, 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 so I'm glad we're talking. So, yeah. so we're attacked, we're targeted, and so is that group, and so is that group, and this group's going to be my friend, and this group's going to talk on my behalf, and this tr- this group's going to advocate. It's very plausible and natural how we have found ourselves in this situation. It would it would make sense to many, and still does, Sheikh. That's that's the point I want to make. There's a lot of plausible and natural things that are bad. I am a victim, so is he, so is she, so is they, so is all of that. We all might as well be victims together. Maybe we can make a more of an effective block. You cannot be a leader. I'm sorry, that person, I'm bullied. I need to get the other nerds, remember from school, let's get all the kids that are bullied and huddled together and maybe, right, the big bad, you know, jocks will leave us alone. No, I don't want to be around those. I can take care of the jock myself, right? I can take care of him. I can take care of that bully myself, okay? If someone joins me, if I get pummeled, fine. I'll try again. I can get pummeled. I'll try again. I'll try again, okay? So maybe what you're saying, that plausible reality, it it's a disease that infected many minds. As a result, they ran to the left, of course, that's what happened, right? After 9-11. That's exactly, that's the textbook of what happened, right? And from that standpoint, right away, many people, not just myself, anyone who has a type of gamesmanship, this type of, like, look at the roots of, of why you're behaving, mm-hmm. saw, why are you guys so scared, right? You are scared people. You are mice, okay? And I'm not saying that your facts that you said are not true. They're true, but... That's not how you handle fear, right? To go and run to anyone who will give me a hand, right? Run to anybody who will smile at me. It's not right. It's not the right way to be. Wrapping up this segment of the conversation where we're talking about navigating differences, right? Um, is it a case of the, the context, the situation that we find ourselves in the West? And I mean, even when we talk about the West, it's a very broad term. Right, and each country has its own context, but generally speaking, there is, there is this post nine eleven, post war on terror climate which we have found ourselves in the last twenty to twenty two years, which has significantly influenced the way we do that and activism in terms of precaution, censorship, and all of that stuff. Is it a case of preserving Muslim rights to practice their faith, their faith, versus the preservation of Islamic identity? which is what it actually means to be a Muslim and what the religion is itself. Is this the crossroad that we found ourselves in at the moment, do you think? Well, Because um, I'm, I'm asking because you said you're a man of binaries and uh, obviously that's definitely not pun intended. <laughs> but, <laughs> black and white, so, so I've given you one. Is it one of Muslim rights versus Islamic identity? Okay. Um, first of all, the flaw that I saw, that I, that I see in that, those mentalities, such people, they, they are very... Weak on the remembrance of Allah. And I don't mean doing dhikr like this, but I mean, is not Allah the biggest and the only real factor in the equation, right? So that's where I said again, I, it's not necessarily that the elements that you brought forth are not factual, that precaution is not good. As we said, like one guy invents a plane, the other guy invents a parachute, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not trustworthy yet. You're not complete. Because your equation only has in it one set of facts. It doesn't have another set of facts. It doesn't have in it, your argument is not con- inclusive of all the realities. So that type of ethos, that group, they were very, they hardly mentioned there is a power with us. 
on our side, right? They hardly mention that. That's why I dismiss all their conclusions. Their e equation is not balanced. They'll mention who they be, though. They'll mention making contracts on packs where it may be perceived weakness for the Muslims. But they but won't mention... But, but there is a long-term hikmah to it yeah. and wisdom to it. I've heard these arguments. They've been presented. But they don't mention that we, the product we have is utter gold. People are looking for it. They will absorb it. I'm telling you. You're talking about the religion itself. The deen itself. It yeah. will be taken up by people. I'm telling you. It will be taken up by people. It will enter the hearts of indigenous people and they will follow it, right? There's not enough of that for me to, to take them as examples and take them as leaders. There's not enough of that. Okay. I would say it's 80% that and 20% of the precautions. To me, they're 100% precaution. And if you say, hold on, we got a great dean that people want, it seems like hearts closed to that concept. And that's why I don't did not take them as leaders. And what you what did you you asked me a question? Muslim identity versus the most Islamic religion, right? Yes, yeah, so Muslim rights. Versus when Islamic you entered, identity. because 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 one of the, one of the things the whole thing is about Muslim rights, isn't it? Our right to practice our faith, our right to practice freely, our right to have halal meat. How about our Allah's right, right to be worshipped? Absolutely. So, firstly, the, there is seems to be an adoption of the identity view of things. So the Muslim rights essentially is it, it finds itself polarized at times against islamic identity because islamic identity sometimes well many times would would push the muslim to oppose those who fight or perceive to fight for his rights am i making sense here Shef? yeah so when allah when we enjoin in good and forbid evil or when, when when we speak out against particular worldviews and ideologies and philosophies sometimes it is against those who are perceived to be fighting for our rights yeah and the rights of Allah to be worshipped dictates to us to speak out against those who are perceived to be fighting for our rights. rights. Correct. So the, the, the correct approach to things is we prioritize the rights of Allah, the goal, the, the vision Allah has given us as Muslims. Mm -hmm. So hypothetical, the whole world, no can, nobody can touch a Muslim, right? But yet Allah can be cursed, disbelieved in, the Prophet can be blasphemed and nobody cares about islam no, no one's entered islam are we satisfied with that or we are fighting for the cause that allah wants us to fight for we're getting good results and you're getting backlash from enemies so the one this group is the latter group is the agenda is what allah gave us we are here to connect between the servants the creation and their creator mm -hmm. what happens to us is secondary that's really should be the mentality not let's just preserve our rights at the expense of god's agenda allah has an agenda for the creation which is for their benefit allah has an agenda for the creation a plan for you he does not please with them to to be in a state of kufr that is what should take up 90 percent of our thinking and 10% you protect yourself, right? Don't you think Allah is going to protect you? That's why I said the people who are at the forefront of that political element, the equation is not balanced. They never talk about the power of Allah. They never rely upon it. It's as if it's just a belief, not a reality. We have to live as a reality. Uh, let's tell the truth, spread the truth, invite people to it. Allah will take care of us.
right? How's that for mentality? And yes, we can take SBAB. We can have good relations with the police, good relations with the, with Congress, congressmen and congresswomen, good relations with, with people, because otherwise it's just, it's common sense in my opinion, right? Otherwise it's stupid, right? But sometimes you have to hold them to account as well, right? Hmm? As part as part of being a Muslim, a righteous Muslim with principles. Sometimes we can't be, uh, we cannot have good relations with some people. Their yes, policies just way so far yeah, out, yeah, so out, out of bounds. Yeah, sometimes be, it doesn't work. There'd be times where you have to stick on the police commissioner or, or, there, the, mayor there, or the there's politician. There's sometimes yeah. when the when if the if the police is wrong or they're wrong, yeah. right? If you have to be against them, you got to be against them, yeah. right? Uh, if if a congresswoman or a congressman, you know, goes a certain way, sorry, we, we can't have relations. We have to trust in Allah. So that's where the, the, the true Islamic leadership vis-a-vis -vis the, the political world that we live in, mm -hmm. if the equation's balanced, okay, then we can trust them. And if the priority is Islam first, us, Allah did not send us the Quran so we could just protect ourselves. Muslim rights. This is not foreign to us. Did you read Surah Al-Buruj? Shouldn't you expect, according to the Quran, the more you practice your deen and you're promoting your deen, you should expect a backlash. More hostility. More, more hostility. More you should expect so, it. Absolutely. Is, is, where is it, in a, is our goal, is have no hostility? That's not our goal. It's our goal is the agenda of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if the common Muslim doesn't realize that, that's why those leaders exist. Teach the common Muslims. Teach the common Muslims. Teach us, right? Hold on. You've been sitting there. All you want to do is protect yourself. Where's Allah's uh, uh, plan for us? Where's the Prophet's plan? Mm -hmm. Worry about that. That's where Ibn Atta'illah says, worry about what Allah asks you to, 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 to do. Don't worry about something Allah promised you. He promised he'll take care of you, right? That's in the matter of rizq. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't worry about my, my rizq so much. I should worry about my ibadah, my amal, my da'wah, right? And the rizq will come, right? That's worrying, not act. I might act in my job. My physically may be in my job nine hours a day and worship Allah 30 minutes a day. But my heart, my concern... Is in that, in that short space is of that, time. Yeah. I'm not worried about the risk. Mm -hmm. if I, 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 I was reading about some people in France when they lost their job, like they killed themselves. It's because they have no concept that Allah is there to take care of you, right? So um, that's where... The true Islamic leadership focuses on the mission Allah sent us with, not repackaging Islam as another identity that fights for rights alongside with mm -hmm. people who are practicing something against Islamic, uh, the agenda that uh, Allah gave for us. And we just so trans, disabled, Muslim, hijabi, uh, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, um, black, Latino, Latinx, whatever it's now called. Um, who else is a minority out there? Asian. Mm -hmm. are, are we content? Are we content to be just one of a list like this? Of meskana? Mm -hmm. List of meskana, right? Which is not to say that some of them have actual grievances that are fair, right? But no, I don't want to be with a list of miskins. Mm -hmm. We have some to offer. <clears throat> that, that is what Islamic leadership should be about. Reframe all of our mind to put the agenda of Allah and His Messenger first. And I want to hear, we should hear a lot of mention of Allah, His power, His promises, His commands, His and, rewards. And if you can't deliver that, and you can't live that, or you can't aspire to it, or commit to it, or sacrifice to that ideal, 
uh, is hijrah a plausible reality? Have you, ha, ha, in terms of your neighborhood, your you're either your doing society? that or leave. Okay. But hijrah, of course, is either said than done. It's not like there are countries out there willing to give you paperwork. Of course, for, right? the, for those, but for, in theory, for, yeah, for those who have the means to do it. In theory, you're either um, working hard to spread the message of of Islam, and it doesn't have to be as a speaker, speaker's corner. And talking to non-Muslims, you may never talk to non-Muslim in your life, but you support your local masjid, you support the schools, you support the kids, you support the youth, you support something, you, relief organizations, you're mm -hmm. doing something, right? Even if you're not good at anything, at least you're there giving moral support. Go and, and, and give moral support. If you're not doing any of that, go make hijrah. Why would you, hijrah is for the nesib, it's not for you. So you can't say, oh, I can go live in Malaysia, things are as bad. Yeah, that's true. But if you have kids and you die, right, and you're never able to teach them Islam, one's in the United States, one's in Malaysia, where do you, who's going to end up Muslim? Chances are. Yeah. So hijrah is for the nesab, it's for the lineage, where the entire society, even if you were to go wayward or a kid was to go wayward, his lineage will be absorbed by the other rest of the Islamic society. Chances are higher chances he'd be Muslim. So a bit of a digression, what would the conditions be, genuine conditions be for a Muslim family to make hijrah? When they can't practice the essentials of Islam anymore, when they're shutting down masajid, they're not letting a Muslim dress the way a Muslim should needs to dress. So they're, so they're basically prohibiting covering the, essential, yeah, yeah, the okay. essentials of Islam. Okay. Right? Yeah. Um, bringing the podcast to a close, um, even though we spoke about the navigating differences uh, statement, uh, obviously, we spoke about many other things relating to it, in the build up to it, in context to it. And one of the issues <clears throat> that we find ourselves in, especially in the age of social media, um, is the way we engage with people of knowledge and faith leaders. I'm not talking about politicians, I'm talking about ulama, mashayikh, du'at specifically. People of sacred knowledge. Internally? People. Yeah, intra-Muslim, okay. intra-Muslim okay. engagement, okay. right? Yeah. Um, I recall there was once a to and fro between yourself uh, and Dr. Jonathan Brown, which was then published on, on Yaqeen's website. Do you remember there was like an engagement yep. and, and, and it was it was published as an engagement, as a to and fro, right? One could argue that was more intra-scholarly, right? Yep. Um, but look, we live in a time where tens of millions, tens of millions, if not over a billion Muslims have access to social media in their respective languages and scholars and people of knowledge uh, in some cases have become celebrity names and household names right um they sometimes don't get things right uh we don't know their their intentions or agendas we don't know we don't know we just see outward output of of deeds right whether it be talks lectures courses whatever it may be and sometimes there may come a time where these people are held to account right by the laity, Muslim laity. Um, I want the concluding conversation of today's podcast to be around how Muslim laity uh, should engage with people of knowledge in the era of social media. So let me ask you firstly, is there such a basis which gives the right to the Muslim awam, the laity, the normal folk, to hold people of knowledge to account? There are no common Muslims in matters that are known in religion by necessity. We are all scholars in that. So the basic fundamentals of the religion is something that's known by everyone, scholar and non-scholar. Correct. On those things, the laity can hold the scholar to account if he breaches or transgresses those things. 
Yes. And he should measure. The, the job of such a person is to measure, maybe take advice on the way to do it in which there is no greater harm. Okay. Okay. The way to do it where there is some Islamic adab. This is not hard. A layman is not a dummy. A layman is not someone with no access. A layman is just a non-specialist. He's got another career. We have a scientist here. He could probably run circles around us on, on science, right? His, his nine to five job is not sharia. So he places himself as the lay Muslim. Doesn't mean he's dumb. If he wanted to change his career and become a faqih, he probably could do better than me and you. Of course, Muslim, so a layman does not a dummy. So Muslim laity has many intelligent it people. It just means he's not a specialist. Not specialist in the religion or the sacred science. And he's not viewed as a specialist. Yeah, yeah. He's not viewed as a leader. Yeah. So the layman, we don't have to dumb things down too much. These are right. So the layman, you are a scholar in what is known in religion by necessity, right? Mm -hmm. You're not a layman in this. So when that's breached, and when something you know for sure that is beyond that, beyond al-ma'lum min al-din bil-darura, but you know it for sure, like you're certain, right, about it, because you, you, you do know that uh, fact about the deen. You may speak upon that, and then, but the question is, you need to just get some advice, get some, do some istishara on the method. What is the method that will cause more harm so you can avoid it? And secondly, um, what is the most effective you know, means to do it? Hand in hand. So at first, do no harm. Then you look at what is the most effective way. Because you could do it in a way that's not harmful and not effective, right? And then, uh, so like linking a PDF, Neither harmful nor effective. What about harmful but effective? Harmful and effective? <laughs> yeah. We must say effective in the short run. Harmful will always come around back to you, against you. Okay. So harms do not always uh, appear right away. Because harms so, could, be, could be down to style, language, tone, mm -hmm. assertions, yep. right? Uh, and sometimes depending on the style, Usually the firebrand style tends to be effective to begin with. Short term. Yeah. What you put out to the world, somehow it will come back to you. If you put out, if you correct somebody, and you made them feel like garbage. So the correction of the society, you'll enjoy it. Right? You'll enjoy it. The Making someone feel like garbage will come back to you as well. So you will be in a better situation Islamically, but you'll be made to feel like garbage. Right, so if I went and forbid the wrong of my imam, let's say, allowing he was gonna he was gonna let people come in with beers, right? Mm -hmm. And I went in, I humiliated him. So he said, "Okay, fine, no beers, no beers in the mosque." Right? You, got, you got the outcome you wanted. So now, what is my future? My future, I enjoy a mosque with no beers, yet Allah will send somebody to me who will make me feel like garbage. You both will come back at you. Okay, f perhaps we described there someone who is from the Muslim laity but follows Islamic Muslim related issues, so therefore would take certain, would exhaust certain things before they maybe publicly account a Muslim public figure. I'm talking about to the extent where just sharing a video or a clip, let's say Dr. Shadi al Masri said something in a talk uh, pertaining to marriage. Someone's taken out a 30 to, 30 to 60 second clip of a soundbite that you said and at face value it appears that you're saying something that's a bit off key 
and then someone shares it like WTF, WTH, what the hell's going on here? I'm sure about those kind of yep. accountability because some people will still see it. I'm raising awareness about what this madness this scholars just said. Mm-hmm. And some people will have a skewed understanding of thinking that is a form of forbidding evil or raising awareness about something an Islamic faith leader is doing. Right? Uh, why is this scholar sitting down with the pro-Israeli rabbi? This person may not be the most deepest Islamic thinker or activist or someone who follows these events, but they think by just sharing something is their contribution. The public figure has a lot of privileges and he's got to pay a high price. Mm-hmm. you got a lot of privileges. It's a privilege to be able to influence people. There's a price tag to that. Right? The price tag is that you will be at some point, your mistake will be magnified. Your uh, out of context could happen. That's just the price. And later on, you can correct the notion um, if you want to. But that's the price to pay. So swallow it. Accept it and move on. Don't go on saying, oh, behave properly. Behave properly. You're dealing with the public here, right? You can't control how people act. You're not going to do tarbiyah of a million people, right? Pay the price. That's it. Watch your words next time. Dr. Shadi, it was an absolute honor having you on. It's my pleasure. Honestly, I, I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. My pleasure. And I look forward to hosting you again on the show, inshallah ta'ala. Inshallah ta'ala, and inshallah I hope to host you. If you ever come stateside for a visit, uh, New York, New Jersey, we got you know beautiful sites in New York, a lot of stuff to do. You can, if you bring your set with you, you could do a ton of podcasts with a lot of people out there. It would be an honor of mine. Yeah. My dear brothers and sisters, I hope you all thoroughly enjoyed that conversation and benefited from it as much as I did. Uh, please do remember that you can find this show on all the major audio platforms. And if you're watching via YouTube, remember to click subscribe, like this video, leave a comment. And until next time, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, a five pillars production. production.